0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, B.J. Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back into the uh, another edition of Making the Turn podcast. I am your host, B.J. Parker, and I appreciate you joining me. And I would encourage you to go uh, check out the podcast. It's available pretty much anywhere. on uh, You You can find podcasts. There's several uh, hours of content that are ava- available for you. So go in there and check it out and let me know what you think. And uh, it's uh, it was bound to happen that uh, I was able to put being here in Nashville Tennessee uh the music and golf and a lot of this together and today I think you're going to have a uh special treat I've got a guy I've known for a while he's a singer songwriter but we're going to tie it into golf a little bit and I've got a friend of mine James McNair how you doing buddy man I'm good thanks for having me well I appreciate you doing this I'm it's been how long you think it's been since we uh seen each other
1: man I, I think I ran into you at some point a, a few years ago but uh, when when I started working for you when I first moved into town, it was uh, March of 2013 so six years yeah. I guess. Yeah and you Over moved six
0: years. You, you moved to Nashville uh, following maybe a, a country music dream or songwriter dream but um, was Brentwood your first spot that you got a job?
1: It, it was. I um, if I remember right, Um, I was looking through Craig's list and I saw that you, uh, were looking for some maintenance guys and, uh, you know, my, I've worked for my dad in the golf business doing, um, stuff around the course, uh, basically assistant superintendent work. And so I remember applying to you and, uh, you uh I think I interviewed a couple weeks before I moved into town and you offered me the job and then uh yeah like the rest
0: was history and we we I think I forget how long I worked for you. It wasn't too too long. A couple of years, maybe a year or two, but it was I knew I we re, it's rare in our business to um come across guys that you know it's always labor's always an issue and when you find a guy that uh has some experience, that's something you always want to grab a hold of. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and I think I'd like to start by kind of tying in why you're even on the podcast. I mean, one, we know I know you and I, and I know there's a lot of that we're going to talk about with your career that and where it's kind of gone. But um, you have a history with golf. You worked for me, obviously, which is, you know, you can talk about some of that. But talk a little bit about, you know, you're you, you mentioned your dad on a golf course, kind of where you're from and sort of how your involvement with golf kind of got you to Nashville. So, uh, man, I would
1: say like a lot of us, uh, I'm a son of the golf business. Yeah. Um, so, and I mean, actually it stems back to being a, a grandson of the golf business, but, uh, my grandfather, um, ended, he played golf at Duke university. And then when he was out of school, um, he visited, um, Aiken where I'm from South Carolina, which is about 20 minutes from Augusta, Georgia, where they play, uh, the masters and, uh, He ended up buying, um, I think it was called uh, Aiken Municipal, and um, the city of Aiken owned the course, and it was in disrepair, and my dad will kill me if I get this date wrong, but I think he bought it in uh, 1959 from the city um, with help from my great uncle, who was a banker at the time, so it was a perfect storm. He was able to get a loan, and so he bought the course from the city and uh he he ran the course he did some um renovations when he first bought it and got it up to shape and um uh, pretty much uh, long story short um he ran the golf course um until um about the the mid eighties and um, my dad um played golf at uh Clemson university and when he uh got out of school um he worked uh, down in Hilton head selling real estate and kind of just, you know, doing anything but the, uh, the golf business. <laughs> and, um, my grandfather, um, started getting older and, and needed help and, and, uh, went, went to my dad and said, Hey, I, I, will you come back home and, and help me with the course? And then, uh, a couple years after that, uh, he offered to, uh, sell the course to my dad, um, on a payment plan. And, uh, yeah, my dad took over um, the golf course. It was called uh, Highland Park Country Club at the time, and we had a pool, and um, it was just your your public. Um, you know, I, I even forget what we what they charged in those days for green and cart fee. But I I swear you could go out and play with the green and, with green fees and cart for like less than twenty bucks for eighteen, and yeah. it was just get as many in as you can <laughs> type deal. And so. Um, Yeah, my dad took it over in the 90s and just realized that there's no way um, to keep this playable and it wouldn't be feasible unless uh, they did a a major overhaul. Greens, irrigation, um, pretty much everything. So he just mirrored basically what my grandfather did in that day. Um, So this was 97 at the time, and my dad took a loan out, which is a huge risk. A lot of people, members and stuff, you know, were – asking why are you doing this why are you doing this you know um it's this is Aiken it's a small town you know you're you have a niche and and my dad was like I just can't I can't stand to look at this place anymore (laughs) without it being in the shape I know it could be in and he basically bulldozed everything down to the studs and uh he's he's a big Pine Valley fan uh big Pinehurst fan so he shaped um a lot of the holes um after those um designs and uh yeah, but basically just with a skeleton crew, four or five people with bulldozers and chainsaws, and just went to
0: work. So he did it himself. Yeah, no, uh, didn't involve an architect or anything at all.
1: No, he tried. He it was crazy. Um, he had a connection um, to get um, with uh, Ben Crenshaw to come in and um, help design, but. It just it, – it wasn't the right fit, and it wasn't the right feel. And I think my dad at that point realized that, hey, you know, if I'm going to do this thing, I'm just going to, um, you know, learn what I've learned from my dad and go out and do it on my own. And uh, that was uh, – it was really, really interesting as a kid growing up um, with, with my mom and my dad's dynamic of it was his dream to do it. Right. And she was super supportive, and um, it took uh, – the membership, you know, um, had to, some coming around to do, you know, because we were having to close down nines and close down holes, and there was a lot of mad uh, older members. <laughs> and but, uh, you know, I think everybody um, likes to pull for the underdog, and uh, you know, in Aiken, um, our we have Palmetto Golf Club, which you might have heard of, which is a super um, prestigious course, and uh, there's some other private courses around. But um, to get get it in. You know, shape where it can compete was was his. Uh, I think his driving um, factor of that he just felt like there's no way that it could just um, be self sustaining unless sure. he dumped
0: the money into it. So, what, what is is it? What's the name of it currently? It's uh, Aiken Golf Club. Aiken Golf Club. Yeah, the
1: Aiken Golf Club.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So did did you have did you have was it, was that done prior to kind of you being involved in or did you have a hand in doing any other help? So, oh yeah, my dad put me to work (laughs) soon as I could mow. Um, basically
1: I, I can never forget. Um, I, I was probably seven or eight and, um, I never had an allowance or anything. Um, it was basically, my dad would, would, uh, wake me up in the morning and, um, basically just, uh, throw me full force into it. You know, I, Learn how to, um, you know, mow on triplexes, and then learn how to run the sam pro, and then learn pretty much all yeah. the grunt work that the other guys didn't want to do. Sure. I learned how to do, and a lot of summers mowing grass, and um, yeah, it. Um, I, I I started working for him pretty much as soon as my
0: my feet could reach the pedals. Yeah, yeah. So, so what made you n- not want to be a golf course owner or be in that? It's, sort of that's
1: a great question. Um, I've always, uh, you know, loved the game of golf and um, loved that side of it. And to, you know, to be perfectly, uh, you know, frank with you, it was, uh, I, you know, went to University of Alabama for a couple years and um, I was always playing music and write music. And then I transferred to University of South Carolina to get in-state tuition. But for, that was three years in, and I still didn't know what major I wanted to do. Yeah. I was just – I had no idea. Um, and uh, it was always an open-door uh, policy with my dad since it's in the family of uh, basically, you know, I'll, I'll do anything to get you up to speed if you wanted to take over this course one day. And um, I had a band um, in town at the time, and uh, this is about – two yeah, it, mid-2012 – and um i'll never forget it my my dad sat me down and was like hey i'm i'm thinking about putting you on salary and he had just purchased another course in it called um cedar creek golf club so he you know he needed um he wanted to I- extend the you know uh the salary thing cuz i was always just paid by the hour sure and to lock me in and um at the time, I was dating a girl, and it wasn't working out. And it was kind of a perfect storm. And in the band that we were playing in, um, we were we were playing probably two nights out a week um, in town and around the CSRA, which is Augusta and Columbia, all that. Yeah. And a lot of people would come up and say, "That song, that third song that that you sang, it's it's awesome. Where can I find it?" And I was like, "Well, I wrote it." And they're like, "Well, you you should go to Nashville. You know, people uh, will sing that song." And I, I had no idea that. The actual artist <laughs> wrote the songs, so that opened Pandora's box because I, I went into uh, YouTube and uh, just got to looking up songwriters and like your Craig Wiseman's and Brett James's. They they had a bunch of YouTube stuff, and I basically got hooked. And um, when I went back in to, to meet with my dad, I was I, I was like, Dad, I I, I think I want to move to Nashville. Like um like I appreciate the offer and and uh, but. I always knew that uh, it you know it was a now or never thing. I was 25 at the yeah. time and um he uh my parents were probably the most um supportive out of everyone in the community to do it, which yeah. was which was amazing cuz you know there's a lot of people in this town that that move up here and don't have that support. Yeah. And so he's, you know, he was my biggest fan, still is my biggest fan on the music side, and so I think that helped me uh, be able to pack up all my stuff with, you know, zero money to my name, and, and move up here and chase it, you know, just yeah. knowing I have that support, and uh, knowing that, that if if I went up here, and I gave it the old college try, and it, and it didn't work out, then, uh, you know, I could always come back, and hopefully have a spot. We have a guy that works for my dad named Ed Piccolino, and he's um, super, super uh, – he's been a blessing to my family. And so it was really – I think for me, uh, he is the assistant superintendent now, and he basically um, oversees Aiken Golf Club when my dad's um, working at Cedar Creek, and he knows how to do everything around there. So it gave him an opportunity. While I chased this opportunity, the music thing, and – I mean, God works in funny ways because we both got what we wanted in the end. Because I think, you know, we'd buck heads sometimes, you know. We, we were very headstrong. And so to have uh, the ability to give him the job that he wanted and I I could go up and do this was, I think, was worked out best in the end. So Yeah.
0: yeah. So how did – what is your – what is it like to be – I don't get to talk about ownership of golf courses much, which is something you, for your family, I mean, you've got a wealth of knowledge about. How is that dynamic? How does that play out? How, what do you see that being? Because golf is just not a, it's not a, I mean, it's a tough business to be in. I mean, you, we're in a, we're in, you know, since the economic downturn, and we've seen a lot of golf courses not be built, a lot of golf courses have to close. Um, you know, just a difficult time with golf courses. How did they survive that? How has how owning a golf course been? Uh, what is that? What's been the success factor? What is something you've seen that sort of your dad and you guys have sort of latched onto?
1: I think, and and um, he he's always told me this. I think being able to run lean, yeah. and he's never had a big crew, and his his overhead is pretty much you know it's razor thin. So with the – you know, golf, golf business, like you said, it's a roller coaster because, yeah. you know, uh, the 90s um, we had the, the big booms um, with uh, the community golf courses with houses and, you know, you buy a house and you get a free yep. membership and they were rocking. And, you know, um, being a public golf course and um, especially Aiken Golf Club is so centrally located in our hometown that – it's easy to get to, and it's short, so you can walk it, you can ride it, and it you're gonna you're gonna whether you walk or ride finish in three and a half hours, right. and so that's always been um, a benefit uh, for I think our um, you know membership and our walk on play, and the fact that I, I think being affordable, he's always set the and and we've um, always had the back and forth with. Uh, um, our superintendent and uh, my dad and just should we wait raise the prices or should we do this and he's he's might have raised it over the past like decade maybe a dollar or two yeah but i think he's got such a heart for golf in the game that he wants to make great golf affordable mm-hmm. and whether it's you know cutting into, um, you know, the profit, which obviously everything inflates, you know, as the years go by. Fuel costs more. Equipment costs sure. more. You know, people want more money for the jobs that they're doing. I'm sure that it's it's taken, you know, uh, a toll on, on um, your razor your – already razor-thin profits if you're making any. Um, but I, I think he, he loves the game. And uh, I th- to answer your question, the key – to him and to for a golf course ownership is knowing when to not get in deep and and keep a skeleton crew. Like for example, you know when the grass is dormant and there's not a lot of grass growing, and uh, you really need a setup guy and a guy to mow greens and and maybe a utility guy to go out there and blow some tee boxes yeah. off. And we might have on a given on a given winter day or even early spring, we might have three people out there. Sure. and so. And he knows when to, to clock them out and clock them in so there's not a lot of sitting around and, and everybody pulls their weight really well. Um, and I'd say that's been the key for my dad just to stay
0: afloat is keeping it lean, you know. Well, I, I definitely think – now, I would assume that by by that, your daily – their daily fee, they're not you – know, they, you said they had members, but it's not a private club.
1: Right. It's We consider it um, semi-private. Semi-private, yeah. And so, yeah, we have a good membership, and now we're doing, since we uh, bought Cedar Creek a while back, we're doing a dual membership, and Cedar Creek has an um, amazing uh, um, practice facility, and um, they have a, um, a shed, so if it's raining, you can go out there and get on camera yeah. and stuff. So he's um, done a dual membership where you can be a member at both and get unlimited range balls, mm-hmm. and um, we, we've had some success with that. And... Uh, yeah, I think um, basically just just keeping it affordable. And I see, you know, we, we've got George Bryan, um, who's uh, a uh, professional golfer, and his brother Wesley plays on the tour, and George runs our social media. And that's really helped us over the past year. Yeah. It's been incredible, man. There's a lot of people that are diehard purists, you know, yeah. and they are always searching for – the, uh, the the Hidden Gym. Sure. And so that's been really great. We've, uh, we've had some um, some great folks come out um, and shoot videos and, and pretty much uh, give us content. And so our websites never look better. The pictures have never looked better. And, um, you know, it, that's really helped us yeah. too. And that was something that you couldn't do early 2000s or 90s. It was all just, I mean – you could take an ad out in golf week or, I mean, print, and I don't yep. know. But, I mean, what what would that, you know, serve when right. you can pull up your phone and and um, automatically see a Twitter or Instagram. And so that's really helped us. George has done a good job on that, and it's been exciting to watch.
0: I, I, I definitely think that golf has uh, been a beneficiary of social media. There's clubs um, – that are just doing it really big time. And, and if they've got their stuff together, they're drawing in people, they're they're creating a buzz, and, and people are coming to their club. And, and, and I think that's – you're probably not doing enough. You know, it, yeah. be honest because, you know, you want the ideas to stack the T-sheet, to have people coming in there, give them a quality product, and, and um, you know, have a golf course that people want to talk about and come back to. And word of mouth is always great, but with day and age of social media and you can hit so many people so fast – yeah, I would encourage him to continue to do all of that. Yeah,
1: yeah, and he—it was funny. It took him a a minute to grasp the concept of <laughs> what's a retweet. Yeah. what's all and that was funny to you know listen to him. But I actually was the bridge between uh, George and my dad a little bit, and I'd call I'd call Pops up and be like, "Hey, give this kid a shot." Like, I know this just being in the music industry that you need a following, you need people talking about it, yep. you need you know, and so. He uh was able to say, you know what, why not? You know, we have nothing to lose, and so um, George um has has been kind. It's free to, too.
0: Yeah, it's free. Yeah, <laughs> just exactly. Somebody, pay
1: somebody. It just takes somebody to do it. Exactly, and so that's been that's been great. And so um you know uh, as as far as the ebbs and flows, like we've had a great year. Um, we had a book masters week, and and for the past. I'd say you know five or six years we'd struggle on Master's week because there's just so much competition sure. and uh, yeah, it was really nice to see it booked up during masters week and um and you know tiger helps being back yeah. it's crazy how golf how you could see a spike in golf with tiger yeah he i moves mean it's the needle. Un-
0: he does man yeah. it's unbelievable yeah he's a it's a it's really quite fascinating to me i, I i'm even to this day, you know, I know he's got health issues and I know there's a lot of things going on with him, but when he bows out of a tournament or he's not playing, I, I don't have as much interest. And I know I'm not the only one that's in that boat. And and being in the golf business, you're like, Yeah, we want you know, we want him involved because it just makes people want to be more exciting about golf. Yeah.
1: And I can never forget um when he first came out on the scene and when he um even you know one of his first masters and and was going on that tear from you know 97 shoot all the way to 2006 but we had some of the best years in golf then yeah it was unbelievable
0: yeah he he uh, it was a wave like we hadn't seen before and and you know just drove the whole industry uh, top to bottom and and it was great to see i mean and i and i think as long as he's out there He's going to continue to do that, and you know I love the new guys coming up, but there's something about Tiger. I know, man. I know, <laughs> you know. and I think
1: now too, um, it's the it's the comeback story, man. It's like it's resilience. You know, um, everybody battles stuff in their personal lives, yep. and to to have uh, the media and everybody, you know basically counting them out for so long. Um, you know, I, I, and I know you're, you're like me, I'm Scotch Irish and I don't like telling people telling me I can't do something. And, and I, I know that he's that way too. And, um, so to yeah to see him, it was really special for me to see him win the Masters this year. I think it it was uh, I don't think I've cheered that to hard in my life.
0: <laughs> well, I, I'll be I'll be right there with you. And I actually one of my earlier podcasts I I've, I haven't done. There's only one podcast I've done with no guests, and it was a it was after he won, and I just kind of spur of the moment jumped on and gave my thoughts about it. And it was mm-hmm. it was centered around basically about. Um, you know, no matter what happens to you in life, I mean, you go, everybody goes through something, but it's, it's how you react to that. It's how you respond. And, Mm -hmm. and anybody that has any sort of feelings in their bones about, you know, what he's been through, the, the things that he's had to deal with right or wrong. I'm not here to, to say, to debate that. Right. But, to see him on that 18th green and with his kids and all that. And I mean, it was, it was special. I, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. You know, yeah. it's just one of those things that, and, and, and uh, I'll send you that. You can, I mean, it wasn't a very long podcast, but I, I, it was one of the ones that people appreciated the most just because I was kind of right there at the spur of the moment. I just kind of gave my thoughts on it. Yeah. You know, so that's awesome. So, so what's the. Um, are, are are you geared up to later on in life take over the ownership of the golf course? Is that something that you're thinking about doing or are you just kind of waiting to see how all this plays out? Man, you know, um, I'm so far deep in this music thing. Um, I just,
1: uh, you know, it would be a dream of mine and my, my dad just shakes his head and laughs because he's like, that's the last thing you want to do with your money. But I, I would love to be able to financially someday if this music thing um, keeps rolling and and um, I can get some hits under my belt I, I would love to go in as part owner and and um, or have some piece of the courses sure. and we've talked about um, integrating golf and music and having my songwriter buddies and having some concerts on the range yeah. and really uh, like doing it big time man like yeah. uh, getting sponsors and Bringing in good acts and and have a weekend tournament and uh, do it for charity and and figure out what that needs to be and um, I have so many buddies in the industry that love golf and yeah. they have they haven't played my dad's course and I know they're just going to eat it up yeah. you know so that would be a fun thing to do wrap it all together take a bus and we'd write in the morning and um, during the week and then when the tournament was there we you know go go play in the morning and then have the show at night and I think it'd be really special for our region um Aiken and Augusta and people to travel and and see some great country music yep. great songwriters and play some golf so yeah that would be my I think that'd be my dream you know
0: I, I think it's a a great marriage of music and golf I think it's um they're both sort of satisfy emotions they they do a lot of things that make you feel good about life and and, um, and golf's a great exercise, and marrying the two. I mean, here in, you know, Music City. You you talked about it already. There's just a bunch of people involved with it. Entertainers get involved with it. There's lots of different charities that they do centered around golf. And yeah, I commend you. I mean, I think that's a great uh, goal and a, and sort of a vision to have for that. No mm-hmm. doubt that, yeah. that. I would I would say that would work wholeheartedly. Yeah,
1: I mean, like like I said, I don't know if I'm going to go back out there again and uh, <laughs> rake bunkers and pick up sticks, but. If I could be, you know, in there yeah. and
0: and um,
1: and be able to uh, help out, you know, financially and get get the stuff we need and and um, really keep the uh, the play coming in. And I mean, obviously, my dad uh, doesn't need, you know, my help per se in, in that uh, department. But um, I he's had such a great year as far as he's won some awards this year that were big. Um, And uh, golf weeks, he had some great golf week write ups. And and so he's, you know, he's a rock star in his own right. But I would love to be able to get the music world's eyes on what he's done in in the course and and really bring that and marry those two because I think that there's a huge opportunity in there somewhere if we could figure it out, you know. Oh, absolutely!
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Do you, Do you? Do you, when you get back down there? Do you just hop on a mower? Do you ever go just like, hey, I want to do something, and just I'll tell get you, get on a fairway mower and go do something. I do. I so
1: um, it's funny you ask. So um, you know, over the past couple years, um, I love uh, going and going back home, and um, I'll shoot a text out to Ed, who's my dad's right hand man, and be like, hey, do you have a spot for the crew tomorrow? He's like, of course, you know, <laughs> we could always use some hands and. <laughs> Um, for me it takes me it, it takes me um, back to where um, I began and the fact of uh, staying grounded yep. and it gives me a lot of great song ideas um, you know sitting sitting on a mower or, or walk mowing or, or raking and and um, watching the Sun come up and uh, it's uh, man it it, it's addicting, you know, and, yeah. and um, it, as far as uh, getting the endorphins going and, and the blood pumping, and, and I come up with way more ideas doing that than yeah. trying to, you know, sit on the couch
0: flipping through magazines, you yeah. know. Um, it's so. hard to describe, but I tell people all the time that there's nothing better than being on a golf course early in the morning. It's yeah. just mowers running, nobody, you know, water may be running. That's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a place that I will never get – I mean, I'm, that's one of the few things that I miss about being on a golf course every day is that it's just like that. It's just incredible. And you can see how that would be inspiring and you just kind of let your mind go, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so let's transition a little bit and talk about your, your sort of new career and what you're doing, not new career, but, but not to you, but I mean, you, you're, you're not in the golf business. You've kind of transitioned to songwriting. So how did that? How did the move here to Nashville go? Sort of where was your big break? What are some of the things you're doing now? And, and what does the future sort of look like for you? So, um, yeah, man, um, when I worked for you, um, I
1: was uh, – we'd get off like 4 o'clock-ish. And, um, man, I was burning the candle at both ends. And so um, after I'd, I'd get off work – I'd either have a write or um, something planned, uh, like go to a writers round where they're sharing, you know, swapping songs at night. And uh, I just tried to meet as many people as I could and network that were in the industry. And Nashville is really, really good um, about uh, having open arms and not being closed off. And because everybody um, starts where you start, yeah, doesn't matter if you you moved here ten years ago or, or moved here today. You know, everybody came here with. Uh, you know, a dream to, to, to do whatever they wanted to do, whether it be the artist thing or work in the industry is, you know, um, on the label side or, or whatever. And so I basically, uh, just wore myself out when I work for you, but I'd st- I'd stay out and, and try to meet as many people and, um, stay out till, you know, one in the morning and then wake up and go work for you at five thirty or six, you know? And so I did that. And then, um, I, uh, I, when I left, uh, Brentwood, um, I got a job at Hillwood Country Club and it was an inside, uh, job and I was basically the concierge slash, so I'd do some accounting stuff, some, um, website stuff, photo editing, just kind of, you know, um, what they, uh, couldn't handle in the, um, in the accounting officer media they'd give, give to me. Sure. And, um, that was a great job because I was able to, um, have a couple mornings open. And I think that's what really turned the page for my songwriting career is all your best and big time writers, um, are writing in the morning, you know, everyone's tired at night. And so I was able to start writing with some folks in town, um, that had a lot more stuff going on, um, than I did at the time, which was a blessing. And, um, yeah I, so basically, I just uh, wrote as many songs as I could and met as many people, and then I started having rights with publisher writers that had publishing deals. and then I'd get to know um, the creative director that um, was their point person, which basically means that they booked their, their rights for them. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know one thing led to another and um, you know, make a long story short. A couple guys I was writing with that were signed at Sony ATV under artist development deals at the time, Um, we were writing a good bit where um, I was in Sony ATV probably between the three of them. I was at Sony probably once a week almost, and it got to the point where all the uh, creative directors and even the guy that signed me now, they'd just be like, so what's your deal, man? You're here a lot. (laughs) And we're demoing a lot of your songs. Like, who are you talking to? And and are you taking any meetings? And send me songs. And they were always really good to me. And so um, I ended up um, uh, getting in talks with a guy named Tom Luteran, who's uh, one of my point guys over at Sony right now. And uh, this was after about a year of writing without a deal at Sony and them seeing me around. So, you know, it wasn't wasn't fast by any means, but... uh, he he basically came to me one day after he saw me at Sony. He's like, "Hey man, here's the deal. Um, we're super. Um, we, we've we got a full roster right now. But if you can find a company um, to team up with uh, us over here at Sony, um, I'll offer you a deal." So then I, you know, of course, <laughs> that just uh, you know rocked my world. And and at the same time, I'd had some other meetings that were going well. And and um, I can't have. Um, I can't have any of this without uh, or I wouldn't have any of this without BMI, which is um, does royalties. And sure. and uh, so I was meeting with a guy over at BMI at the time named Mark Mason. And um, he uh, basically the he every three months I'd come play him a few songs and he'd pick out his favorite one. And, and uh, I did that for about a year and a half or so. But one day. Um, I was actually writing with Luke Combs. It was probably like the second time I'd ever written with Luke when he moved into town. And, and uh, it was hilarious, but I get this email. And it says, hey, James, uh, it's Brian Kelly from Florida, Georgia Line. Um, Mark Mason um, sent me your name, uh, said that, that um, you know, you're looking for a publishing deal. Can you send me some songs? And he had kind of a wacky email, you know. Yeah. So I look over at Luke. I was like, look at this email. And he's like, oh, bro, someone's messing with you, man. Someone's. He's like, that's terrible. Who would do this to a guy? And uh, so we laughed about it, but I was like, but what if it is him? He's like, well, you got to send him some songs. So um, I sent him like three songs, and then like like a day or two later, dude, love these. Send me some more. So I, I sent him probably an album's worth of songs. Yeah. And then they were on tour, and this was like kind of the, um, you know, uh, breaking point of where uh, he was it was like radio silence for about a month and i was like oh gosh what's going on yeah but i got a random email and says hey i want you to write with the first writer we signed jordan Schmidt, who's had an incredible run over the past couple years and um so i wrote with jordan and we got a great song and i met jordan's brother um dane Schmidt, and dane worked um at tree vibes f- um for bk and that's that's what their company's called and uh, I got to know Dane really well, and um, about three months after that, um, I had still been talking with Dane and sending him songs. And I said, well, hey, man, um, Tom Luteran over at Sony said if, if I could find a, another company to team up, um, he, he'd do the deal. And, of course, Dane's eyes lit up because he knew that um, it would be a great partnership to have a big muscle like Sony yeah. in Tree Vibe's corner. And, and uh, so they're two just hilarious guys and, and have their own quirky personalities. But they went out to lunch twice, and I'll never forget it. I got the call, and Dane said, we're going to make this happen. All I need to do now, though, is I need to go get the blessing from the guys. So Dane literally got in his car because the guys were on tour and drove all the way to St. Louis and got on their bus and asked them and they're like, Hey, listen, if you think this is, is a great deal and the thing we need to do, let's pull the trigger. And, uh, got my lawyer involved and their lawyers and within, so that was in, um, the summer of 2015. And then by, um, November I was sitting at the table signing my first publishing deal. So that was, uh, you know, really exciting time.
0: So, you move here in two thousand thirteen ish you you work golf course and in and out inside and outside for a couple of years all the while working towards a publishing deal. It took over two years to get done I yeah, mean, it's not a for those it's not a it's not an easy process I and
1: mean, I mean it was about yeah two and a half years and and what's crazy is um that's even really fast to get a publishing deal yeah. you know they call this a ten year town. And it's so, it's, it's so true. I mean, as, as cliche as that sounds, but you know, I'm almost, um, I guess it'd be six and a half years in or whatever if I can do my math right. Um, and I still feel like it's going to be a 10 year town for me too, but I've had, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. I've, I've had, um, you know, a lot of, um, early success and a lot of cuts pretty early and I've been able to, um, expand my circle and, um, yeah, it's it's been uh, an amazing journey so far, and just chasing that you know that radio single man. And
0: yeah.
1: Um, but uh, yeah, and I I also did mention too this, and right before I had my deal to make ends meet, I was working at a nightclub called South doing bar backing, and that about killed me, man. <laughs> you think golf course work is hard? Yeah, I don't want nothing to do with the bar. Oh, so. dude! I mean, it was like. Hundred pound bags of trash and ice and stocking, um, uh, it, it stocking the um the the, the the fridge and all that stuff with beers constantly. And the worst part about that job was you'd sit up there and all it was always packed. And this before it shut down, it it was just the hot bar at the time. Yeah. And all the college kids thought you were a bartender, but I'm a bar back. And, I don't, and in Tennessee, you have to have a license, yep, you know. Yep. So they're throwing bottle caps at me, throwing water at me, because they think I'm ignoring them, you know. And that was terrible. And then um, that really put some sting in the wound, no pun intended, is you'd go and you'd have to cut up all the cardboard boxes. and But guess what you have to do after that? You have to go slice fruit. So you cut your hands on cardboard for an hour, and go slice limes, and dude, it was like you'd wear gloves, you know. But dude, that lime juice finds its way in there, you know. So anyway, uh, it was it was the right time to sign a deal. I was like literally at the breaking point of 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 everything, um, you know, with my life. I was just like pulling my hair out, and luckily my wife at the time, or my wife now, and she's my girlfriend at the time was super supportive. Sure. And, um, yeah, without her, I, I don't think I could have done it. I mean, huh. you know.
0: Well, I imagine having that support is huge. I mean, yeah. you know, especially being up here and trying to do all that you're doing. Yeah. So what is, a, uh, what is a publishing deal per se? I mean, I'm not a music guy. I'm not in the music industry. And we get a lot of people that's in the turf that's going to listen to this. But probably some guys out there that are banging the guitar or the drums yeah. or whatever. What is a – Kind of walk me down sort of what a publishing deal is. What does it encompass? What is you know, so, so
1: basically, in the um, easiest terms possible, publishing deal is they give you a draw, which is basically a salary per se, but they it's basically a loan. So, let's say um, they give you twenty four thousand dollars a year to write songs and. They uh, require a twelve. Most of the deals are a twelve song um, requirement, but it's not what you think because, like a three way song, is counted as a third of a song. So you have to hit your your quota to get you know to get paid and keep your deal going. But basically, um, they give you your draw to live off of, sure. and they set up your rights for you. And you go in every morning about 11 a.m. and you get some coffee and try to come up with stuff out of thin air. And um and basically, how uh, the you know finance works with it is so let's say you get um, a hit and you're you know 100 grand in the hole with them and uh, whatever your deal is, let's say the hit makes 200, then they recoup it and then you split you know whatever your deal was for that. So that's basically
0: a publishing deal. So so basically, to sum it up, you get a you get basically them to pay the front you the money yeah and and they're paying you to write it could it's not really a period of time I mean they they'll probably cut ends with you if that didn't work out or if you don't oh
1: yeah it. no Yeah, so they have options it's called yeah. so
0: most deals are like three and one option which is basically a
1: four year deal or and each so after each each option they have the option to drop you right. pretty much if you're not if if they don't feel like you're performing, or you don't...
0: There's a lot of, you know... you get to negotiate that? I mean, is there, ne- is there so, um, points of it that you get to negotiate? Oh,
1: absolutely. Uh, and, and it just depends on um, what part, um, you know, how far in your career you are. But, you know, there's really not much negotiating if you haven't had many cuts or any, you know, singles. No. But if you've had some success, you can definitely negotiate it. And um, the, the, the other thing is um, when you... Get a publishing deal, um, you, you get a lawyer, and they d- decide your points. And usually, each year they give you a little bit of a bump in your draw, yeah. like a, basically a raise, you know. Sure. And then they give you a demo budget, so you don't go out of your own pocket for your demos, and they yeah. pay the demos and take care of the admin, which is all the paperwork and filing the songs, and they keep it in a database. So basically, it just makes it a whole lot easier for you as a as a songwriter. You just go in and write the song and turn it in and yeah. go to the next one.
0: Yeah. So how many songwriters would you say are in Nashville that are actually under a publishing deal? Because oh. I know there's thousands that are probably trying to make it.
1: Oh, yeah. So when I, you know, I don't know the number right now. I'm sure there's some more now because uh, the market's doing so well and yeah. everything kind of trickles down where um, publishers are willing to take more chances. But can't be much more than um, what it was when, when I, you know, heard the number, which is a couple years ago. Someone told me that... The active NFL roster across America, which is like 350, 300, I don't know what the, what it is the same number of signed songwriters in Nashville. And the number of people trying to do music in Nashville is like 100,000 or something yeah. crazy. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, with that being said, to get, it's the heart, you know, everything's a hurdle, but it's, 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 you know steps in your career it's getting your first published right it's getting your first hold and a hold means when the artist holds the song for themselves um if they're thinking about cutting it yep. and then it's getting that publishing deal and then it's getting that first cut and then it's um you know it, it it's all uh just a um a constant uphill battle but you know um to be in the game and and to have a publishing deal i, I feel super blessed and um You know, shout out to to those guys for uh, taking a chance on me, you know, Um, because right now the money is so thin in our um, industry with streaming, and it wasn't like the 90s, man. Like, the 90s, I think there was probably like 3,000 people with publishing deals, and I might be wrong on that number, but uh, because the money was so much more. You know, you had to go to um, Sam Goody or wherever you had to go to buy the record, and So mechanicals is what you make off of each individual song sale, which is way, way more about them because records sold so much. You know, if you got on a hot record that year, it'd sell 10, 10 million. Right. And so if you get on a hot record this, you know, th- this day and time, a, a hot record's con- considered gold or platinum, yeah. which is a tenth of what it was, you yeah. know. So, um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting time to be – um, a songwriter but they're you know they're doing legislation in uh washington trying to um kind of get get some of the uh money back that uh, these streaming companies especially you know like spotify and these guys that um are just kind of raking us over the coals on our rate you know any independent contractor which we're considered you know you name your price yeah. you know if you're doing my roof you can come to me and you could tell me a bazillion dollars if you want it's not but it's it's backwards in our industry because they're setting our rate some archaic you know law of what our rate is, and yeah. so it's been like a a law that's been in place since like nineteen thirteen or fourteen or yeah. something crazy or nineteen thirty I don't even know it's in the it was a very long time ago.
0: <laughs> so yeah. Well, how how does it how does artists that write their own songs differ from say a songwriter who's basically trying to get an artist to uh, you know. Per- produce their song or sing it how does that so what are some of the differences?
1: where you know i I consider us all like um artists um kind of in our disrespect then oh no no there's none (laughs) taken we're all you know we all have our our own thing and what we do and what makes us who we are in the writing room but um you know artist writers uh like uh this good intro to put but like kip your buddy kip yeah did you work
0: at brentwood when he was there no but that was inspiring when you told me he did. Yeah, Cause, uh, uh, I, I mean, that's a, that's a shame because I was going to bring that up, but um, and I'm glad you did because you know he's <laughs> he sort of turned out pretty, he done pretty well for himself. Exactly. And yeah, the, yeah. He started at Brentwood as well, and um, and uh, wrote many of songs and passed them by me and a bunch of other guys there, and and uh, so I was curious if you worked with him there.
1: No, I, I didn't. I think um, he by the time I had moved to town. Um, I think he had beer money that just went to radio. So he had just started taking off when
0: yeah. I moved to town, and I remember running into him at Losers and. Well, something about a truck was his first hit. Oh yeah, so um, probably would have been. That probably would have been his second. Was that his beer second money? One? Was yeah. Second
1: so one. yeah. So I think, I think something yeah. about a truck had already Don't shoot me, Kip. No, I'm it sorry. already no, it already gone. Um, had already gone. But I I think I saw him around the time that beer money was out uh, it losers. And I was like, Hey man, I, I, you know, I'm working for, for BJ at Brentwood. He's like, Oh, tell him, tell him, Hey, you know, yeah. that was, that was a fun time, you know? Um, but I thought that was inspiring, man, that the, you always have to take, um, little, um, you know, little nuggets like that and then put it in the back of your mind that, Hey, you know, this could happen to me if yeah. I just keep working, everyone starts somewhere. And I just thought that was really cool that, um, you know, he worked in the same place that I did, you know? So,
0: yeah, you know, it's it's kind of funny. I, I, I don't, I mean, he's probably the most, the biggest example of guys that I've been around. But guys start in the golf and they either might caddy or they do, you know, work in the pro shop or on the maintenance crew, but that have dreams of being in the music industry. It's, it's kind of common. I mean, yeah. Hey, I mean, I'm. I bet I, I bet if you asked a few of the guys that are, have made it now or are new in the industry or big, they probably worked around the golf course doing something while they're oh, trying yeah. to get on their you know on their feet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just one of those jobs that
1: ha- you know you know how it is. Is be you know being a boss is if you could just find a guy that shows up on time and just works you know half yeah. worth a dang. It's he's worth keeping around. It's it's pretty much the guys that are going to show up. You know, I've dealt with that with my dad. You know, yeah. it's like. Because you can train them and, and get them to do a half-decent job, but if they're not showing up, then yep. you
0: know, that's, the, that's the
1: battle, man.
0: Oh, God. We could talk for as long as we want about the, the struggles with labor and just getting people to show up. It's huge in our industry. And we're, we're actually seeing now where technology is going to automation and trying to automate you know, uh, you know, robots, uh, elect- you know, self-autonomous mowers, things <laughs> that are just trying to eliminate Do you uh, think employees. they scalp? <laughs> well i don't i, I mean that, that's all for the engineers and everything to work out i haven't been around many but i know that they're working on it and there's a that's lot crazy and it's there's they're getting pretty close to having mowers that are gonna i mean they already have fairway mowers and greens mowers and and uh you know maybe have to work out the kinks that uh you'll you'll be out there sort of man in a mower that's doing its own thing and you might be raking bunkers or picking up sticks and you get up and go to the next one and it does it and
1: that's wild, go.
0: but That's I mean it's wild. all labor driven. I mean we can't yeah. get people to you know you uh, price not the, at the price that we're paying yeah, them pi- hours, uh, you know price per hour is crazy high. Yeah, and you know and you just dependability, a uh, lot you know a lot of things are just right now just crazy and you just so to solve a problem you figure out how to drive a mower by itself.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: Yeah, but you know it it all comes full circle. I mean the uh, the industry is uh, is Pretty hot right now, and and golf is going good, and and um, you know with with what you're doing in music and and everything, I mean, you know those you get to a little bit of. Your golf background, and you get to marry doing that, and get away from it. And but I know the uh, the music thing for you has been your passion. And I, I, I hear one of my favorite artists right now, probably my favorite artist right now, and outside of Kip because I love Kip is Luke Combs. Yeah, and man, you do a lot with him. I,
1: I do. Um, I actually, uh, this will be a funny little thing, but I was out with him uh, two weeks ago, and um, I flew, he he flew me out to um. To Reno, and we did a show in Reno, and then uh, went on to uh, to Utah, and we were writing some songs for this for his uh, actually for his third record because yeah. his second one's already ready to go. It comes out November eighth. So, and those so he songs, put out
0: an EP or something. Yeah, but that's just will those songs be in included in the second? No,
1: I not that I I don't think so. Yeah, and hopefully I won't get sued for that no. comment. But no, I don't think so. They were. He writes so many songs and so many great songs yeah. that people connect to, and he tests them out. He he's almost a, uh, a savant in the song testing um, world because he'll he'll go out and see. He has a knack for seeing what song what which songs react, yeah. you know. And I think that's important as an artist, you know um a lot of guys are you know just want to cut hits and they want number ones on the radio but you know when you have his artistry is unique to himself because he uh just wants songs that that not only make him feel connected to but his his fans and people listening can yeah. feel that connection and he has a very genuine way of displaying Um, whether it's a heartbreak or whether it's having a good time or, you know, um, and I think that's what separated a man and that's why he's selling records and selling out stadiums and, um, but to, to get back to when we were out West, uh, so we wrote a couple songs and, um, we, we were out there and, um, just to see how much it's grown, man. And, and power of social media and power of fans and, uh, power of radio, dude.
0: And is, is he pretty much somebody that's kind of ascended pretty quickly? I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, it mean, seems to me like he had some, he, you know, he just kind of, the songs just did their own thing, but he just, it seems like he just went sky high. Like there was yeah. no stopping this guy.
1: Well, he, uh, man, he, so he, he played his cards. Um, I mean, he played his cards right. He, Um, utilize social media better than anyone I've ever seen. So there was a – it's not – I don't think it runs anymore, but there was an app called Vine that was six-second videos. And he built a big following on Vine, and then he had an Instagram. And he was putting up clips of him singing on Vine, and they were just going viral. And then once Vine was about to shut down, he would just every day shoot out a message to his fans on Vine and say, hey – I'm going to be doing these videos on Instagram. Come, come follow me on Instagram. Yeah. So he was already selling tickets from his following just by himself before any label or anybody got involved, before his manager, or anybody got involved. Like he was telling me his first show um, in Asheville, he was charging like two bucks a ticket and sold like 200 tickets or something. And and for him in those days, he was in college, he was like, man, I feel, I feel like this is uh, – I could do this thing, yeah. and so that just built. And um, I think he started out uh, with a um, a booking agent in town, and they put him on like a Corey Smith tour, and then he was doing tickets, and and then that was about the time Hurricane had come out that he released on his own, yeah. and then they got the label involved. And man, it has literally been the steepest trajectory of an artist I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, just as far as. Because he had, you know, there was no loose ends to tie up um, when it came. He had the following that they could just grow. Yeah. It wasn't like they were taking an unknown and plopping them. You know, he, he was out there. People had already, the diehards had, had known his music. And then when you get the the power of radio and he got sure. on some great tours and um, and he's he's great with people and he's a great guy. So just, uh, I feel like just him being as genuine as he is has helped him. Um And, um, yeah, I mean, it's timing, too. You know, I I feel like country music as a whole was looking for something more to sink their teeth into, man. You look at Sturgill and you look at uh, Tyler Childer, all these guys that are um, putting out records that, and, I mean, even on the Americana side, um, one of my favorite artists, like Jason Isbell, um, he, you know, they... People want—they're um, finally coming back around to to really wanting a great lyric, you know, yeah. really wanting to feel something. And I think the timing of him and what he does and being so unique to himself—it was kind of just a powder keg, man. It just exploded. And um, so, yeah, the first time I flew on a private jet was with Luke. So we—it was yeah. insane, yeah, it was man. Really awesome. It was a full circle moment because um, when we wrote "Beer Can," that was on his first record. We were in my. Um, a rental, an old rental house over in the nations and he pulled up never forget it um and his dodge neon it was like a 2000 dodge neon and um beat up and and comes out you know with a big old uh copenhagen dip in and and he's like man what are we gonna write today and and we hit it off immediately and our buddy uh, ray fulcher was in on that right and ray's had a lot of success with luke and and they're good buddies and i think the 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 biggest um thing to take out of it for me is he stuck with his day one guys yeah. and uh, a lot of artists that that get success um, and you can't blame them you know they go to to these big time hit writers and and I'm and I'm sure they write they write hits and they do their thing and everyone kind of you know um, you only got one life in this industry yeah. so it's it's like you know you got to take pick your battles but for him to um, stick with us as his day one guys like he like I said he flew me out and then we flew private to a cabin um, in North Carolina and wrote songs for a week and um, he was flying in two of his um, his good writing buddies um, every couple days and and I'm pretty sure we probably knowing them too wrote the whole third record at, yeah. at, just in that cabin and um, there's not many artists that do that yeah. you know and and uh, it, same thing um, and, and Luke, Admires um, Dean Dillon a lot, who wrote um, most of uh, George Strait's stuff, and they're good buddies. And and um, George was always and still, obviously, to this day, is very loyal to. Um, in the you know, it goes both ways to, to Dean. And I think um, he saw something in Dean. They they went out and, and wrote some songs, I think, down in um, the Caribbean somewhere. And just uh, you know, having that connection with an artist where it's it's not just um, work. Yeah. you know where Luke and I play golf and we'll go fishing and talk life and it's not you know sometimes I just go out and ride the bus with him and enjoy his shows man yeah. because I remember when we were playing uh at Bellcourt taps to four people you know wow. and, it, and and nobody was there yeah. and then to see 20,000 people knowing every word from his album cuts to his singles
0: uh it really is inspiring. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad you like keep liking Luke, man. I love him. I mean, it. How addicting is that song? Um, the uh, beer never broke my heart. Oh, oh yeah. My gosh. It's a I mean, smash. It is massive. Massive. It's I mean, still number one. I think it's on its second week. Yeah. So it's just unreal. Um, so are you able to say some of the songs that are, that you've written with him? Uh, not, so not any that are coming out that may. Be, oh yeah, absolutely. But like ones you've. Yeah, wrote with him or any songs for that matter that you've got out right now.
1: Yeah, so um, right now on Luke um, on his debut record, which by the way just broke Randy Travis's and um, record for the uh, number one album in country. As a male, I think Shania Twain um, holds that spot. But if he can hold on for five more weeks, he'll have the number one album of all time. Wow. And there I have know. I have two I on there. Yeah. And so one I have on there is called Out There that we wrote on a retreat. Oh, retort, that's one on of a, my favorites. Yeah, on a retreat. Yeah, yeah, we wrote that. And Beer Can. And then um, I had a song that I wrote with him um, called Used to You. And uh, it wasn't on that record, but he, he still has it on his all his streaming and all that stuff. And it's a special song. He played it on uh, Jimmy Fallon, and yeah. it's just a very about losing somebody. Um, so I have those three, and then on this latest EP put out, I wrote Lovin' on You." And we were out on the road um, when he first started headlining um, clubs, and we were in Kansas City, and so we wrote that one, and um, we wrote it two years ago. And and a lot of these songs that are coming out on this. Uh, second record um in november are like two and three years old you know he likes to live with songs and i love that about him there's not a lot of um artists i feel like that that let songs breathe you know what i'm saying where it's like is this song good or is it just because the track is good and and everyone's telling me it's good at the moment so i'm gonna go in and cut it and and uh, I respect him for that. Like, like I said, he tested out and he puts it on social media and uh, he plays it live. And um, so, um, yeah. Hopefully, keep my fingers crossed. I have a couple on this um, next record coming out, and then um, we we ended up writing two or three, almost in a half a song, um, this past writing trip. That you know, hopefully, will be on the on the third one, and hopefully, I'll keep. We'll keep plugging away and writing songs and, and he's getting into golf, man. Hey, he's go. got the bug.
0: Yeah.
1: I love that. He gets so frustrated though yeah. because and, and Is he a good golfer? Um he's, he's, working, on he's working on it. He's working on it. I'm not gonna say anything that incriminates me yeah, here, but yeah. no, but he's working on it. He he well, loves, If he listens
0: to this, we've gone big time. Yeah. Well, hopefully no. he will. Yeah, Share no, he
1: uh it. he um he loves the game, and um, and I love that he he loves the camaraderie of being able to go out with friends for four hours and have a couple beers yeah. and not be around at all, and uh, not have to you know um, feel like he uh, someone wants something from him basically yeah. you know and and I think that's uh, it's got to be hard for him and he 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 handles it really well um, but uh, he's noticed everyone. I mean, you can't really miss him, you know. Um, so it's nice for him to go out and have an escape, and you know, go go play some golf and talk a little smack, you know. I mean, he loves it. So and yeah. I, and for me, you know, being the son of the game, I, I I'm super pumped that that he's enjoying golf.
0: Yeah, you know, Do you get the golf with your. Uh, you said you. Your writing buddies and an artist. Do you get to do that? Is that kind of your escape from everything? Is yeah, you- I,
1: I do that a good bit. Yeah. Um, I actually played golf. Uh, he's a golf buddy of mine and a, a writing buddy of mine. But uh, Brad Terzi and I played Monday. This is a funny story. But um, he uh, plays guitar and writes songs um, for Old Dominion. Um, and uh, he's he's had some hits. He's a super talented guy. And uh, so um, I played. This is my second time playing with him and uh, we were about to tee off, and I go in the pro shop, and I look around the corner, and Todd uh, T-Hub from FGL's in there <laughs> getting a bucket of balls, and I was like, what are you doing? Because this, you know, we're playing Harpeth Hills, this public right. course. He's like, oh, well, I live, you know, five minutes down the road and want to get out and hit, hit some balls. So I think everybody's getting the bug, whether they, yeah. you know, are being secretive about it or not, you know.
0: Well, I mean, you never – I, I I was a part of the Vinnie for so long out yeah. at the Golf Club of Tennessee. Got to see a lot of artists. Was, this was years ago, so there's not. I mean, it's obviously continued on, but they got a lot of artists that are involved in that. And you see uh, artists on TV a lot of times. Uh, I think Jake Owens a big time. Oh golf, yeah, you know and loves it. and he's a member maybe at Golf Club of Tennessee as well. But you know they they golf they they get the bug, man. They, that's what they love to do. Yeah. And, you know. So who do you think who do you think's the best golfer artist? Because you know Kip can play. So he doesn't play anymore out uh, of that I know of but that boy could move
1: it. I've heard that. Yeah. But I've heard and and he does talk a lot of smack, but I've heard
0: Jake Owens is a good player. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I've never seen him play, but and I was hanging out with Cole
1: uh Swindell last weekend and I was asking him. I was like, "You been playing?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, he loves to play too." And I hear he's sneaky good. He's like one of those guys, um, my buddy uh, Rob, who's good friends with him, said that, yeah, he can go out and, you know, most, most of the time he's, you know, low 80s, but he can go sneak a 73 or four in there on you and if, if you're not careful, you know, yeah. and that's good playing on these courses, uh, especially when you're out on the road um and and you gotta love this uh why a lot of um artists love playing is um you get your radio reps to call up the the course and say hey and you find the best course in the area super private say you know we're an artist and they trade tickets for golf and that's where the old bartering system man you gotta love that and well it is and so we get to play a lot of great courses out on the road um and uh and most of them are extremely difficult. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean shooting low 80s uh, you know, on on a course that's playing 6800 in the wind, you know, that's that's saying something. So,
0: so how often are you on the road? Do you just
1: I go out a good bit. I was actually just out um, last week uh, with Dylan Scott, yeah. and uh, we wrote some songs and, and hung out. And I go out a lot with uh, the Cadillac 3 because Jared and I are good buddies. None of them plug off so we get a lot more done. Write <laughs> 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 a lot of golf songs. Golf gets in the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I go out with them, and then, like I said, Luke and um, Parmalee. I love those guys. We go out some. And uh, I was going out with, with FGL for a while, and um, – Kind of whoever wants to get out there and write, you know. Yeah. Um, it's funny. It's it's uh, a lot of these artists um, are starting to love the the road writing because they feel like they can get a lot of their work done on the weekend. Yeah. They write songs, they play the show, and then they can spend time with their family during the week and not want to write if they don't want to, you know. Yeah. So it's it's really productive.
0: Do, I mean, do you do you enjoy being out on the roads? At something different? I do. I mean, yeah,
1: I do. Yeah. I think it helps me. Um, kind of to, to get the feel of what's working for the artist and, and, um, and the songs that we need to be writing. And, uh, I mean, it's fun out on the road, seeing new places. I've been all over the country, all over the country, just, um, and blessed to be able to do that with tree vibes. They have a bus that we we were out on and, um, you know, one minute you'd be in Seattle and then you'd be in, you know, um, somewhere in, in, uh, wine country and then you go down and, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, it, I, I enjoy it. I don't think my wife loves that right. as much.
0: Does she go with you? Or? No, no.
1: Um, she's come to a couple shows yeah. when I've been out, um, like in Atlanta. Um, but, uh, no, and she's been really good um, about letting me go out and do my thing. And... Um, you know she knows that we're not just out there partying you know obviously work hard play hard we you know we we go out and have sure a good she time. was super
0: pumped about the uh, private jet to- oh yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was uh yeah she she thought that was a trip but yeah. um yeah man uh i, I do lo- i do love the road um and i feel like i get great songs out there i yep. feel like there's a different energy in every town and every city and um you know uh Especially when the artist is, is inspired and you're yeah. out there, it's 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 like
0: lightning in a bottle sometimes, man. It's good. Well, I got to know because I, I don't get a chance to ask this because I, I I'm a I love music, but what is the process of writing a song like? Like, take me through that sort of. How do you you don't have? I mean, maybe you come across an idea, but how does that process work to where you've got a finished song? So um you know it's it's like like you say there's a lot of different
1: ways to make a par yeah. you know um but uh, for the most part um we've got a lot of great uh producers and we call them track guys in town yeah. and they they make uh, certain beats and feels and and vibes we call them to go off of and that's one way but 95% of it to me is finding a great idea yeah. cuz when you when you find that that idea and um that everyone in the room is like yes let's do that and then you have you know three talented guys in a room that are pretty good at guitar and, and good at phrasing and melody and you come up with uh the music to fit that that vibe like if you're writing a party song you know not want you want it to be tempo and you want it to be fun and yep. easy to sing and so you, you basically uh find the idea and um and start with some chords and figure out, okay, is this kind of a storyline or how, how do we need to set this up? And a lot of the times you'll write the chorus first to where it feels good. And then you'll go to the first verse and write it and go to the second verse. And then sometimes your second verse is your first verse. It it's, it's really just about, uh, spitting it out on the paper, on paper and, and kind of locking everything in and tweaking stuff. And, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, when the idea, uh, is, is a good idea the songs usually don't take too long yeah. you know i've noticed that you know the and obviously some so- songs take longer to write and some take 45 minutes and they feel great and uh yeah it's just any given day um who who's gonna have the idea and in, in the feel that we want to do and um yeah and, and just
0: basically kind of hammering it out yeah yeah so like the song beer can i mean yeah you just You just say the word and, you know, it's like. So Luke
1: had that idea of the um, Luke loves like a clever, um, you know, clever hook play on words. And he had that idea and we were all like, all right, you know, um, let's do it in in a fun like storyline way where it's just this crazy, wild, wacky weekend and have the chorus it every time on a different day of the weekend, and we we're like, oh, that's brilliant, you know. And then, and then, you know, when that hook spilled out of, you know, nothing picks me up like a beer can. We were like, all right, we turned it great, yep. you know. And um, that's still one of his ones. Um, and that's he always laughs. He's like, man, what I hate about this record for you guys is uh, every song c- could be a single. He goes, and I'm like, yeah, I appreciate that. But um, it's I he plays it live and. Um, it still gives me faith that people listen to records because people know every
0: word of that song. Oh, people that I know. For me, I mean, I, I'm not. I can't remember like I used to. But I, you dive into the words and you just sing them and you love it. And and uh, yeah, I could only imagine the diehards out there just. Oh, they love singing it singing every word. The guy, the guy could stop singing and they just keep on going. Oh you know? yeah, it's yeah. His shows, man. It's
1: been really, really something to watch too, just to see. Um, you know the crowds and, and the band really come into its own you know and then yeah. they have everything just so tight
0: right now yeah. it's 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 been fun to watch so you so how does Luke play in with you you just kind of write with all the guys you sounds like you're kind of tied in with him but you got do you still do the tree vibes and all that Oh yeah
1: so I'm I'm all over the place yeah. man um so I write uh, in town Um, with a lot of different writers and artists and, um, you know, I go, like I said, I go out on the road with whoever, you know, is feeling like they want to go out and write and, um, my, my publisher is really good about keeping me booked and with people that want to work and, um, yeah, and it's basically just, um, expanding my circle and, and, um, Bringing what I can bring to the table, and 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 always trying to have fresh ideas yep. and fresh uh, melodies and grooves, and um, something that that the artists can really um, sink their teeth into, and um, yeah. So I, I basically just try to to always stay creative, man. Sure. And that's that's probably one of the hardest uh, things to do. Like you know, it, golf to me is so much parallel to writing songs, yeah. man, because it's like. You know, these guys that are on tour, the last thing they want to do is go out and hit 200 balls at the end of the day. But guess where they're, what they're going to be doing, do hitting it. 200 balls at yeah, the end of the day. And it's it. the same thing with, with me. It's like sometimes I don't want to sit down and try to think of ideas or, or put a guitar in my hand after I've had a long week of, you know, um, rights that may have gone well or may, might not have. And and um, it's, you know, what we're doing is a lot like the PGA Tour. Yeah. There's so many talented guys doing what we're doing in music. And all looking for that – all looking for a spot on a record that's 12 songs that comes out once a year. Right. And then when you narrow it down to getting a radio single, which is what we need to, you know, um, you, you know make money, um, you're looking at maybe three off a record. So yeah. think about that. So it's like you've got so many people competing for those spots, and um, – it's like an any any given week type golf thing, you know. You might have like a month of great rights and get get a cut, get you know get a single, or it could go two years and you're not getting a cut. You know, it's just really yeah. about timing and and about who you're writing with, and um you know artists that uh, that are having some success. And I relate it so much to golf, man. It's really and I and I think that's why a lot of artists
0: enjoy golf because it's so parallel, man. Uh, and you know, yeah, I agree. Um so how does how does where do you make the money where where does the money come like do you have to have a number 1 do you have to have the radio, artist? radio. Yeah.
1: so radio is where you make your money so um when you get a song on the charts uh BMI records uh how many times stations are playing it okay. and you receive royalties international and in you know United States everywhere about when when they play it right and so when you get a song on the radio, that's when you're making the money off of spins every time they play it. And so um, that's where, where your money is, your, your bread and butter. So it
0: doesn't really matter about downloads or streams or anything. It's Unfortunately all, not, wow, unless you own crazy. the master,
1: which is a whole different ballgame. But yeah. like let's say if I put out a project and I own the master, which is I own the rights to the music on yeah. Spotify, um, a million plays would pay me anywhere from five to like seven grand million so if you get one that 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 um takes off and you and i have some buddies that have had some success um you know hadn't had a record deal and, and they get a song that pops off and they get it on hot country and some playlist and you know you get up 10 million streams you know 20 million streams you're making some money yeah. you know if you own the master but if you don't own the master you know it's it's um that the label's making the money but uh yeah, radio is still king in the country world, man. Um, and I mean, in, in the music world in general, I mean, yeah. pop too, you know. Pop's getting three three times is the that, audience. I mean, I
0: don't want to get into a controversy about that, because, but I, but I, is that kind of why guys like Eric Church, Kip, and them kind of are on the fringes of being big-time stars? I mean, because you see them kind of doing their own thing where yeah. they're not played as much. Well, um, it's, a, it's a very um,
1: political game. Yeah. And when you look at their artistry especially i'm I'm a huge church fan too um and you look at kip and these guys are going to want to do what they want to do yeah and put out the songs that they want to put out and you have to respect them for saying hey this is what i do you can play ball or you don't instead yeah. of the reverse of are you going to play ball with this song you know and a lot of artists get stuck in that like i said earlier in that um I call it almost a little bit faceless of, of just putting, trying to put hits out when it might not even be them or the feel. And then sometimes you're already behind by the time you put this song out. It might be yesterday's news. You know, you don't know if it's going to, going to work out. Um, But, you know, Eric um, just had, I think it went two weeks, but some of it just went number one. Um, And uh, so it was good to see him get another, another number one again. And, I think radio is starting to come around um and especially uh with with these more um I'd say uh artists that uh really are artistic artists I know that sounds weird but the guys that are truly who they are and and do what they do and I th- I think they're coming around yeah. um but yeah I know it's been a struggle for a lot of artists to uh get radio to to play ball yeah. you know and you got to think of the amount of artists that that they're pushing songs, yeah. you know, that to to radio.
0: It's well, a it's, com- it's so about competitive, money, yeah. It, and it, it is, is all money about drives. Money. I mean, you, people that are, I mean, you see this in almost every industry, but people that are mega famous, they, they they're typically good looking. They you know they they have some talent, and they build a persona around them, and then they blow them up. And mm-hmm. that's done a lot of different ways. But you see that in any type of music industry. But right. you know. And and unfortunately, that's you know that's the yeah. way it goes. Sometimes. Yeah,
1: and uh, but you know um, the beauty of of an artist like like Kip and and Eric and uh, they have such a great grassroots following. Yeah. they can go anywhere in the country, in the world. Yeah. You know what I'm people saying? Have... And put people in seats, yep. and so that that's there's something to be said about that sure.
0: too. And and um and they're doing it the way they want to do it,
1: right? You know? And there's some artists – I mean, there's some artists out there that have had two, three number ones or hits that aren't selling a fra- are selling a fraction of the tickets and would die to sell – I mean, would die to have that many people come yep. to their shows. And yep. that's just – it's a different way of approaching it, but it just goes to show you that uh, people are super diehard yep. fans of them, you know? Yeah. And so there's always one way, you, you know, different ways of slicing bread and, and – uh People are going to show up to see their shows, regardless of yeah. whether they're on, they're on the radio or not, and I yeah. think that's special, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I like I love your analogy of there's more than one way to make a par. I think that's uh, significant in a lot of things in life and, and in your industry. And, and I think that's for those guys for guys who kind of understand the analogy. It's you know you can be all over the place and still make the same as some guy who's got his all his stuff together right down right. In the middle. And you know he just kind of makes it look easy and so that's a great analogy i'd like to i'd like to circle back and and sort of wind you know kind of tie it all together and bring in the songwriting and the golf and and ask you maybe one final question have you ever had an idea or something that you've gotten from the golf course that sort that you've wrote a song about
1: um that's a great question i know there's been some ideas that i've had on the golf course and i forget the songs that i've written but um I'll, t- I'll tell you this, which is great. Um, this last song that's on um, uh, Luke Combs' EP, the, the prequel, Loving On You, the second verse uh, has Birdie on a par five in there. Um, and it was nice that, that yeah. we were able to slip that one in there. Yeah. And uh, So there's a lyric. There's a lyric, yeah, yeah the second verse. I'm going to have to check that yeah, out. Yeah, you know um, – and yeah, there's uh, you know I like a birdie on a par five, and and yeah. I, I love I love that man. It, yeah. It's you know you don't hear many um, golf lyrics and right. songs no, these you don't. days. It's hard so to work them in. Yeah, yeah, so that was nice to
0: slide that one in there. Yeah, well, man, I, I've taken enough of your time. I, I, this has been fun. We could probably yeah, talk forever. Um, I appreciate you sitting down and doing this. It, I, I know that this is going to be one of the most uh, the people are just going to love this. It's been a kind of a marriage of two great uh, industries, and it's been a lot of fun to catch up with you. And uh, you know, man, I couldn't be more uh, thankful for you doing that.
1: Oh, likewise, brother. It's great to see you. It's good to full see you. circle moment right yeah, here, that's
0: man. Right. <laughs> well, uh, tell Well, you got to you on social media. Tell everybody I where am. to follow you, where to find you, and uh, be looking for you.
1: Yeah. So I'm um, at uh, James McN Music. Uh, that's Twitter and Instagram, and you can find me on
0: Facebook. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll be seeing you out there. Yeah. Well. Guys, a uh, great great guy, great songwriter, loves the golf game. Uh it's been a fun chat to sit down and talk with you about just everything golf and music and and uh let's uh let's not uh spend so many uh years apart and let's yeah. get together and play some golf and maybe even listen to some music and do some uh, drinking beer and whatever yeah sounds planning. great man well thanks again for coming on the podcast i appreciate it absolutely hey everybody uh, appreciate you joining me thanks for uh, listening this has been another episode of the uh podcast the making the turn podcast and until next time i'll talk to you soon